A warning, this episode contains descriptions of physical and emotional abuse and may be difficult to listen to. Eu sou Chico Felice e esse é A Mulher da Casa Abandonada, um podcast da Folha que investiga a figura misteriosa que mora numa This is a podcast you may have never heard of before, but it's a huge hit in Brazil. It's called A Mulher de Casa Abandonada which translates to the woman in the abandoned house. It is about a wealthy Brazilian family, a couple who moved to the United States with a domestic servant who turned out to be kept in slave-like conditions in Gaithersburg in suburban Washington, D.C. for almost 20 years. This is Manuel Roig Franzia, a style reporter for The Post. And the Brazilian couple he's talking about is Margarita and René Bonetti. They were eventually reported to the authorities. And as the FBI was investigating, Margarita fled back to Brazil. And for the next 20 years, she lived in this dilapidated mansion. In plain sight, a fugitive from American justice. This podcast about Margarita was all over the news in Brazil. Da casa abandonada, Margarida Bonetti voltou a ser um dos assuntos mais comentados nas redes. People became obsessed. They swarmed Margarida's house, trying to catch a glimpse of her. They even posted TikTok dances imitating her. Sobre Margarida Bonetti, a mulher da casa abandonada. Basically, this podcast was Brazil's serial. But in the United States, it got very little attention even though much of the story played out here in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. When I heard about this podcast and that I'd had a connection to Washington, D.C., there was just a treasure trove of material buried in court records that probably had not been touched for many, many years. Transcripts, details that were quite amazing. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Wednesday, June 7th. Manuel spent months digging deep into the story of the woman in the abandoned house. Today, he shares what he uncovered and what this tells us about modern-day slavery in the United States and around the world. So, Manuel, tell us how... You began your reporting. Where did you go first, and who did you talk to first? This podcast by Chico Felitti, a Brazilian journalist, is where anyone who wanted to learn a little bit about this would begin, because it was an extremely well-done podcast uh, and extremely well-reported. And from there, we decided, well, we need to go to Brazil. Well, would you just introduce yourself, sure. who you are, and... Uh, I'm Chico Felitti. I was fortunate to spend a good deal of time with Chico Felitti, who uh, is a charming, charismatic guy. I'm a very optimistic person, so I <laughs> tend to think things will do well. I, I tend to believe my books will sell well. I tend to believe my podcast will be heard, but I had no idea of what I was into until it started happening. Chico comes to this for the best kind of reason for a journalist, because he got curious about something and he got interested. 
Sao Paulo is this just huge city, a huge, loud city, lots of traffic, lots of crowds. During the pandemic, I started walking my dogs more and more so and, and further away. Chico had been walking his dog in this neighborhood, Ijanopolis, and it is a oasis in Sao Paulo. It's this quiet, off-the-beaten track. And four blocks from where we are now, from my place, uh, I crossed an abandoned house in a really noble and rich place. And I got curious about uh, the reason of a house being there instead of a building. It was so out of place. There are no other houses on this street. All the other houses have been torn down for luxury apartments. And yet there was this house that he couldn't stop thinking about, this dilapidated mansion, you know, moldy, ferns growing out of the balustrades, the roof with holes in it. And he just had to know more and more about it. I found out there was a person living inside. And this person was an old lady who covered her face with some sort of white cream. And this woman would stand in the window of this house with her face painted white. It was almost as if she were a ghost. On the first day, I do speak with her decently, uh, December 23rd. Uh, we were surrounded by so many interesting sounds. So you had the sound of the chainsaw roaring against the tree. You had the voice of this person was very eccentric and, and very, she's noble in her speaking. Anyone from anywhere in Brazil can recognize she's rich. I'm talking to her and all of a sudden, this other neighbor pulls me by the arm and whispers, She's crazy. Ela é louca. His first thought is, maybe I will write a story about abandonment that would reveal something about society's flaws and the way that it treats older people. But the closer he got to her, uh, the more questions he had. And then something weird happened. She cut him off. Hmm. She wouldn't talk to him anymore. And he still couldn't let go of it. He had this radar for a good story. Yeah. And he started researching the house. And he went on an architecture website to learn more about the house. And in the comments section, <laughs> a reminder. <laughs> read, read the comments. <laughs> <laughs> read the comments. There's a comment that's a couple of years old, and it says... The woman in that house, she's a fugitive from American justice. What? That's just sitting in the comments of this website, architecture website page. Yes. So this comment that says that she is wanted in the United States. And as it turns out, she's accused there of enslaving a person. So who is this woman, Margarita? Margarita Bonetti. The daughter of a very wealthy uh, family, but also a very prominent family. A family 
that would have a special seat in the church nearby, the Catholic church that they attended. A family who everyone knew because they would hold little parties for the neighborhood from time to time. They would give out fruit uh, to the poor who could come there on a Sunday and load up. Uh, these were people who wore the finest clothes, had the finest furniture, art. They were the very exemplar of the Brazilian elite. And, and what about the woman who was enslaved by this family? What, what is her name? How did she come into contact with Margarita to begin with? Her name is Ilda Rosa dos Santos. And she grew up in a far-off rural province uh, of Brazil. Ilda was one of 12 children. Her mother could not feed the children and had to scatter them to families where they were essentially indentured servants. She didn't know her father. She was illiterate in the Portuguese language. And eventually, she ends up as a domestic servant at a time when Margarita is nine years old. And Ilda takes care of domestic jobs around the house, and she lives in this tiny little room right off of the kitchen. She worked there for 19 years in that house. And then something happened. Margarita meets a very promising engineering student. His name is René Bonetti, uh, and they get married. And after a few years of marriage, living in Brazil, and he's working for the Brazilian Space Institute, they decide that they're going to move to the United States because René Bonetti has a great job opportunity in the Washington, D.C. area to work on very sophisticated satellite research. And the family gets ready to move to the United States, Margarita and her husband, um, René, and their young son. And Margarita Bonetti's mother says, you should take a servant, you should take Ilda with you. I guess at this point, I'm. is she actually a servant? Can she leave? What's, what's her circumstance right now? The circumstances of her coming to the United States are murky in this sense. The parents of Margarita Bonetti essentially give Ilda to their daughter and son-in-law, almost like a gift. They say that they're going to pay her salary. They never pay her a penny. When you started to look into the lives of Margarita and her husband, Renee and Ilda, in the United States, what did you discover once they did come here? Well, there are these accordion file folders in the federal court building in Greenbelt, Maryland, uh, and other court records 
in Montgomery County that provide a lot of details about what happened directly from the mouths of the participants. So what did we learn about their lives here? Margarita and Renee show up in Montgomery County and uh, they are living the life. He's got a great job. They have a nice house. They have nice furniture. And they have this woman who is doing all the household chores for them, who is washing the windows and cleaning the kitchen and raking the leaves and taking care of all of their needs. The Benettis get involved in the Catholic Church community in this area known as Montgomery Village, which is next to Gaithersburg, Maryland. Uh, And that becomes a very significant part of their social life. In fact, most of their social life is related to the church. So for people living near the Bonettis, did they ever see Ilda around the neighborhood? So Ilda was a person who you couldn't help but notice in the area. She would be seen walking around in tattered clothes, in clothes that were inappropriate for the weather, you know, not a coat in the winter. People were curious about her, but like a lot of neighborhoods, nobody asked the question. But a neighbor who she had befriended named Vicki Schneider uh, began to learn more about her life. And it was this neighbor who helped her essentially escape from the conditions in which she was living there and leave the house. And it was at that point, because of the help of this neighbor, that the authorities got involved. Both the Montgomery County authorities who look out for people, both adults and children, who are being mistreated, and the FBI. Mm. So tell me about who you spoke with, the people in investigative authorities who looked into into this case. What did they remember? Yeah, so there's a woman named Annette Kerr, who is a retired social worker from Montgomery County. And 22 years later, she has kept a file with her. I kept this because this was the most unusual case I'd ever encountered, servitude and slavery. I've never encountered anything like that since or before. It was outrageous to me that at that time, I couldn't believe that that could take place in the United States. Um, and But it did. She learned that Ilda lived in a cold basement. From what I recall, she was sleeping primarily on the floor level. And there were clothes strewn in a pile with nowhere to hang them. And it was dark. There were no windows. There was no toilet in the basement. She had no shower or bathtub. And she did indicate that she wasn't allowed to use the bathroom or shower. She used a metal bucket that she had to carry up the stairs and fill with water and bring downstairs to bathe. So it would appear that that bucket was used for multiple purposes. 
including including going to, going the, to the bathroom. Wow. She learned that Ilda said that she had been beaten by Margarita Bonetti, punched with a closed hand, slapped with an open hand. She learned that Ilda said that Margarita Bonetti had thrown hot soup on her. And then she also learned about her physical condition throughout all of those years. She had fallen and cut her leg, and the wound was not treated. And so it became so infected that it smelled. And she also had a tumor in her stomach that was so large that neighbors thought that she was pregnant. Wow. And that tumor was left there for years. And doctors later described it as the size of a cantaloupe. She didn't have access to get anything. Friends from this parish donated clothes. She didn't, she wasn't provided clothes. So she couldn't buy anything. And I think, you know, we take it for granted. Oh, I need a tube of toothpaste. Just basic things. I need shampoo. Just the basic things for hygiene, even. This kind of makes me emotional. I almost feel like I'm going to cry. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting all these years that you know, usually I could, you know, um, cases didn't really affect me like this, but um, just kind of reminiscing about all this, so that somebody could be so um, deprived makes me very sad. And I don't really understand how someone can treat another human being that way. The neighbors who had gotten interested in Ilda and essentially came to her rescue, arranged for her to have a place to live, a, a place to live where the Bonettis didn't know where she was. And while that was taking place, that's when the FBI knocks on the door. I spoke with Don Neely, the FBI agent who was involved in that investigation, um, and he remembers walking into a very lovely home, well-appointed, and meeting a couple who you would never thought would have been involved in something as horrible as keeping a person in their basement without a toilet. <laughs> he remembers Margarita Bonetti in particular as being articulate, well-spoken, uh, and somewhat matter-of-fact about what was happening in the house. And all these years later, he told me on the phone that he got the impression that in Brazil, it was simply okay to slap around your servants. Like she didn't see anything wrong, almost like, why are you even looking into this? It's exactly the impression that he left with. And so what happened with her? Well, the FBI's conducting an investigation now. Uh -huh. That's clear. 
They don't send an agent over to your house just to visit. And while that investigation is going along, Margarita Bonetti's father dies. And she gets on a plane and flies to Brazil, never to be seen in the United States again. And then what do the investigative authorities in the United States start to do? Do do they build a case around this? They keep going. They keep investigating. And they eventually indict both Margarita Bonetti and her husband, Hene Bonetti. And they charge them with three immigration violations. Hmm. Immigration violations. Yes. So... Ilda Rosa dos Santos was in the United States without documentation. And the Bonettis were aware of this. And Gene Bonetti admits on the witness stand, under oath, that he was aware that she was undocumented and that they kept her all these years in the United States under those circumstances. And it was that fact that allowed the United States government to bring the Bonettis into court. Mm. So at this point, Margarita is not in the United States. She's back in Brazil. Prosecutors are bringing charges against, I guess, both of them, but Renee is the only one who's there. So what unfolds during this trial? What unfolds in the trial is a horror show. Testimony uh, about the treatment of a woman that is beyond inhumane. And then what did Brene say about this? Did he testify? He did testify over the course of a couple of days. And one thing that he said really jumped out at me and He said that all of this was stupid and ridiculous. Like that this was even going to trial. That it was even going to trial, yes. And he admits that she wasn't being paid. And one of the strange things about their defense is that he claimed that the parents were responsible for paying Ilda for a couple of years. And that they then said, we're not going to pay you because we want you to come back to Brazil. And at that point, he said that for the next more than a decade, she just lived in their house as a, as a friend um, or as a f- person who's somehow the recipient of their beneficence. I mean, this just sort of reminds me of the arguments that we read about in history in this country of in the antebellum South or throughout the United States when slavery was legal, the argument of, oh, but no, we're actually treating these people well. We're taking care of them. There's nothing wrong with this. I mean, this feels like what we would hear people say all the time 150 years ago in this country. Yeah, they were they were happy slaves on the plantation. Exactly. Right? It had a very similar ring to that trope. And 
While I was looking through these hundreds and hundreds of pages of court records, I came across a name that really stopped me, Kavanaugh. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Wait, what? Like, how, how, how is Brett Kavanaugh connected to any of this? He's connected in this way. When Rene Bonetti was convicted, he appealed his conviction. And who showed up to help him out on that appeal? But Brett Kavanaugh. And Brett Kavanaugh, who was in private practice at that time, did not just represent him. He represented him for free, pro bono. Do you, do you know why? Well, we weren't able to talk to Justice Kavanaugh, but one of the other attorneys who was involved in the case said that Hene Bonetti was running out of money. That might not have sat particularly well with the prosecutors who said that Hene Bonetti was trying to sell assets and hide them. And in fact, the month before Brett Kavanaugh got involved in this case, his own mother, who was a state court judge in Maryland, froze the assets of Mr. Bonetti. So, Manuel, were you able to speak with Margarita Bonetti for this story? I attempted to talk to her many times while I was in Brazil, and she never once showed her face. But I can tell you what some people such as Chico, the Brazilian journalist, have observed. They see a woman who at times seems to be reveling in the attention. At times, she seems to have even invited the attention by coming to her window by talking with people as they pass by. At other times, she's a cipher, completely reclusive, unseen. I have to say, it's not really a huge surprise to me that there are super intense emotions around everything in this case. It's such a raw episode in the life of this family, and it brings back such dark memories and has sort of colored the way that they are viewed in Brazil right now. And it's kind of interesting, a lot of Brazilians who have been coming to the defense of this woman. After the break, why Margarita still hasn't faced justice, and how her story illuminates a much larger problem in Brazil. We'll be right back. Manuel, this story that Chico uncovered, do you have a sense of just how widespread this issue of mistreatment and basically enslavement of domestic workers. How big of a thing that is in Brazil. What did people in Brazil tell you about this? You know that Brazil was the last country in the Western Hemisphere to abolish slavery. And there is still a big problem in Brazil with unfair labor practices. But I had a conversation that I think will stay with me forever 
with one of the people in the neighborhood who knew the Bonetti family very well. A sexton at the church that they attended, this beautiful marble-clad Catholic church not far away from the abandoned house. And he told me that he thought it was very unfair that Margarita Bonetti and that her family were being criticized for doing something, as he put it, that everybody else does. And then he did something. He pointed in one direction and said, they have a slave. Like right now. Right now. And then a second point, and then another. Right there in 2022, in this upscale neighborhood of Sao Paulo, we have a guy telling us that he knows of several families very close by who all have the equivalent of a domestic slave. Wow. That's the reality. Yeah. Well, and and with this particular family, what happened after the trial? What, what happened to Renee in his case in the United States? So the jury convicted Renee Bonetti of all three counts, immigration violations. I should note, he and Ilda both say that he did not physically abuse her. He All of the hitting and kicking and throwing hot soup and all of these things that were taking place um, that were physically violent were alleged to have been done by Margarita. Who at this point is in Brazil. So I have to ask, why is it that Margarita was never tried? Why is she not extradited to the United States? The United States and Brazil may be on good terms, but the Brazilian constitution expressly forbids the extradition of a Brazilian citizen. Mm. So she's able to be in Brazil and does not have to be sent back to the United States. Yes. Uh, That gets weird, too, though. Okay, how? Well, after the conviction of her husband, the United States government contacts the Brazilian government and says, we're going to request the extradition of Margarita Bonetti, even though we know that the request will be rejected. Why, Why would they do this? That's unclear because the... FBI and Justice Department refused to speak with us. Okay. But it's even murkier than that because the Brazilians have documentation that they were asking for information from the legal authorities in the United States about Margarita Bonetti. Oh, as if they were going to launch their own investigation into her. Yes. And at least according to the documents that have come to light through the enterprising work of now a flurry of Brazilian journalists, Mm. (laughs) not just Chico Faletti, uh, according to these documents, 
the United States is not providing the information that the Brazilians are asking for. So it's like on the one hand, the United States has said, we're going to request extradition, even though we know you're going to deny it. And on the other hand, there's documentation that shows that the Brazilians are looking into this, but they're not getting what they need. So who's who's really dropping the ball here? It looks like both parties are looking into it, but then what what ha- does anything come of it? According to the legal experts in Brazil who I've spoken to and others who have examined this case in great detail, both the U.S. and Brazilian justice systems failed here. Mm. And what does Chico think about that? Does he have a theory, the, the journalist who did this whole big podcast? Yes. He thinks that it is just another example of a white, wealthy person in Brazil getting away with committing a crime and not being held accountable uh, for it because the victim is black and uh, from a lesser economic class, plain and simple. It's very hard to see Brazilian criminals who belong to a certain elite being judged or being held accountable for crimes. It's really hard. Um, It doesn't happen. We're used to it. We're used to, we have an expression that says, crimes turn into pizza here in Brazil, to determining pizza, which means they will not be judged. For Chico, this becomes way more than just an interesting story. It becomes a mirror on Brazil, the Brazil of today and the Brazil of yesterday. And it was troubling for him to see that there were people who came out in support of this woman whose past he was able to uncover and who had been accused of committing a really horrible crime. People were condemning Chico, stopping him in the street and yelling at him, calling him the podcast kid and saying, you are hurting a good family, which he interpreted to mean white, rich family. People are yelling, Margarida, te amo, Margarida, I love you. And she goes out into her balcony and waves as if she were Evita Peron. So that was also unexpected. So she had fans. It's truly remarkable. People will travel for long distances, not only from outside of the city, but also in this very crowded giant city, just in hopes that Margarita will come to the window and show her face, even for just a few seconds. Outside the house, I spoke to a woman who every weekend takes a long bus ride to go to the house in hopes of talking to Margarita. And she will stand outside of that house and call her name over and over in hopes that maybe she'll come to the front door. Margarita! Hey, Margarita! She wanted her to come down. And and then when she talked about her actually getting to touch Margarita. That was a phrase she used, that she touched her. It was 
almost as if she had had a transcendent experience. It was really wild to observe. I'm wondering on the other side of this, though, did it also create more awareness or raise attention about these sorts of cases in Brazil and that the fact that there are still people being held as slaves in in Brazil? It has, and that's ultimately going to be, I think, the most positive legacy of all of this is that there has been an increase in the number of reports of people being kept in abusive labor situations in Brazil. It's not an isolated story at all. I guess it's the portrait of a country. The abandoned house is the whole of Brazil. There's a specific episode in the podcast, the fifth episode, in which me and the producer Beatriz Trevisa travel the whole country showing similar cases. And our intention in the narrative was to say, are you shocked with this? Are you feeling outraged? Well, then hear us out. This is happening in your your street as well. This is happening uh, all over the country. This is this has happened in your childhood, probably. We are still a country that has abolished slavery only on paper. Manuel, do we know where Hilda is today? As we understand it, she is still alive and lives in the United States and is well, but also has no interest in revisiting this period in her life that she had put far in the past. Mm. In in this entire saga and the fascination with Margarita Bonetti and her husband and the justice systems in two different countries and the trial and all of the other things that get wrapped up in this, we almost forget that there's this woman whose life was made a living hell. At least personally, me as a person tend to think that our empathy should go to the person who was the real victim in such case. And she has a name, and she lost her life, and she's still in the U.S., but she will never get that time that was taken away from her back. Never. She lost her life. She was freed when she was a senior citizen. So, yeah, I guess that's my my share of empathy with this with this case. Manuel, I guess when you looked into this and you dug dug and, and tried to uncover more, how did it change your understanding of of this idea of modern day slavery, of Brazilian society, or just even the two different justice systems? Well, we live in Washington, DC, and there have been instances of other Ildas here right around the corner from where we're talking. I had a conversation not long ago with a former U.S. official who had dealt with humanitarian issues. And he said, look, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 million people kept in slave-like conditions around the world by a conservative estimate. 
And that sometimes here in the United States, those cases that nobody wants to deal with end up being in this framing. Diplomatic immunity becoming diplomatic impunity. Mm. So I think this sort of awakens us to the fact that this isn't a story about something that happened 20 years ago and is merely a curiosity for all of us who find it interesting. I think it's a opportunity to take a look at our world today, not just the world of a far-off remote country, but the world that we live in and try to understand that sometimes bad things are going on right underneath our noses, just like they did in Gaithersburg in the 1980s and 1990s. Manuel, thank you so much for bringing this reporting to us. Thank you for having me. Manuel Roig Franzia is a reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Savvy Robinson and edited by Ted Muldoon, with help from Eliza Dennis and Maggie Penman. It was mixed by Sean Carter. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the work we do, please consider subscribing to The Washington Post. You'll get access to in-depth reporting and storytelling and so much more. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.